This program is sponsored by George Satari CPA. to the Writing is on the Wall broadcast coming to you from WHKW 1220, a Salem radio station. If you wish to call in and ask for clarification or to comment, please call 888-677-9673. Once again, that phone number <clears throat> is 888-677-9673. Please address me as TA for I am the teacher's assistant. And that phone number, once again, is 888-677-9673. This program is a non-religious, non-spiritual investigation of everything we can discern that was created, recorded, and modeled for us in the Bible. And that's pretty much where I start off each week. But this week, we are going to get a little bit deeper. We're going to go directly against some religious teachings. Um, we are not taking God seriously enough. We are not taking the Bible seriously enough. Um, you are supposed to be trying to figure out who you are, what you are, and why you are here on earth. Now, the first two questions are hardwired into the structure of what it means to be human. The last of the three is what Moses wanted us to ask ourselves because he considered our time located on earth to be a special circumstance. If you go to Deuteronomy 4, verse 32, you'll hear, you'll hear his words. I'm going to read them just because I love reading the Bible. Search the distant past, long before your time. Start from the very day God created people on earth. Search from one end of heaven to the other. Has anything as great as this ever happened before? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Now, you're, you will accept that. Oh, of course not. No, this is the greatest thing that ever happened. Why? Why is it the greatest thing that ever happened? Now, if you read the rest of Deuteronomy, you'll understand that God pulled the Jewish people together, the Israel, Israelites, he fashioned them from all the peoples that were the guest workers in Egypt. And he gave them the leadership of, the, of Abraham's children. And he forged them not only in the fire of Egypt, but also afterwards in the desert. Those who worshipped Baal at Peor died off. Those who did not want to be included left, went on their own way and became a non-issue. 
Now, why is this important? It's important for you to understand that God chooses individuals and peoples as examples. We still, today, um, look for the hero. We laud the hero. Oh, that was a heroic thing to do. And sometimes we ask ourselves, would you step in and do that at possibly the cost of your life? Well, Jesus was a hero, and he did. But he understood why he was doing it, and we do not. Which means that our faith has to be greater, which is fine for those who have a lot of faith. But God wanted our minds, our brains, our souls, everything to be in league and working together. His famous dictum is that I will let whoever searches for me wholeheartedly, heart, mind, and soul, I will let them find me. You are supposed to try and find God. You are supposed to try and figure out everything that he left for you in the Bible. That is why the Bible was written. Not to reassure you so that you could be a lazy bum and just say, ah, well, I don't have to do anything. I'm forgiven. I'm saved. That is not the idea. The Bible is a multi-level logic puzzle designed to wake you up to the fact of your existence, not the fact that your body lives and breathes, but the fact that you are given an opportunity to succeed. So I'm going to go over what that opportunity is this evening. And I'm also going to go against religious programming who basically telling you, oh, everything's fine, no need to worry, you're saved. And they've all done so done a few other things which they think is reassuring, and yet all it really does is emasculate humanity, takes us away from striving to reach God. And I don't care how many times they, oh no, we want you to have a better relationship with God. They don't want you to find God. It's not that they don't like for that to happen. It's just they can't conceive of it. To them, God is way out there, untouchable, not really anyone that you can sit down and have a beer with <laughs> or a cup of tea or whatever. And that's true, he has no body. But at the same point, when you pray, you should pray expecting to get an answer. The answer might be no. But you should be opening a conversation with God. Now, I don't want to go too far afield because I always say that this is a non-spiritual investigation. And it is non-religious. But at the same point, you have to understand that those things exist. And they work. We just don't know how. And this program is to help figure out how for us to get closer to doing what God has asked of us. And that's the important point. There's only one place in the Bible where God says, this would delight me. 
and that is Jeremiah 9.24. And that is where he says that he wants humans to understand him and to justify everything that he has done on our behalf. Well, the only way that we can do that, the only way, is if we look at things from his point of view. Now, a religious person will tell you that's not possible. And they're just sure that it isn't. And from their point of view, from their subjective, not yet transformed point of view, they're correct. You have to follow the instructions in the Bible and switch from your childish subjective decision-making criteria matrix over to an objective matrix. And the differences are subjective is what, I, what do I think? What do I feel? What do my buddies agree with? Um, who is going to laud me for taking this position? That's the subjective. What's in it for me? The objective is what is best for everyone? What is best for getting all of humanity back in touch with God? And that's, if once you learn to do that, then you will have become a Christian. Everything else is window dressing. That's the real deal. But you're still a Christian. You're still saved. Salvation is still yours, even if you only believe on Jesus' name. You'll get another chance. But when you have that other chance, what are you going to do with it? At some point, you have to decide to follow God's instructions that Jesus pointed to and actually try and get closer to understanding what God wants from you. And that's going to be the crux of our program tonight. I, uh, as I told you in the past, I uh, have a Bible study with a group of guys, and I've been doing it for more than 15 years. Most of them have been in it for at least 10. And um, they all come from different religious backgrounds. Um, but the one thing that we share is uh, reading the Bible and studying the Bible. Well, I thought we were doing great. Um, we're studying John, and John has a lot in it. Unfortunately, a lot of religious people have made pronouncements that they feel are correct, but that are not held up in the Bible. And it's simply because no one is there to tell them, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Um, so one of them did not like what he thought I was saying. He thought I was saying that Jesus was not God. And I was not saying that. What I was saying that um, back when John wrote this, there was a lot more complex view of God. And that is something that we should respond to. We should read the Bible to get information. We shouldn't read the Bible so we can push our own thoughts and feelings on it. That is just silly. And that is just sinful. 
Now, my buddies would not agree with that, probably, although I haven't talked to them since uh, we had our little um, Zoom call last week, and I sent them something afterwards. But uh, what we got at the beginning of our Zoom call was a... um, We got read a sermon entitled The Most Startling Claim Ever Made by John MacArthur. John MacArthur is a well-known religious person. And some of the claims that are on this um, in paper um, sadden me. Um, Because he has even though he would say, oh, no, I haven't done that, but he has put his own thoughts and feelings above the words of Jesus Christ. So the part that um, I'm going to read to you is uh, uh, that we got cut out for us was um, off of chapter 5. Uh, He quotes verses 17 to 47. Now, the way he characterizes this is that the Jews repeatedly heard, quote-unquote, those are my quotes, Jesus um, claiming that he was God because he claimed that he was the Son of the Father. And Jesus repeatedly said, no, I'm the son of man. But in this, he said, I am the son of the father. I can only do what I see the father do. I can only do what he permits me to do and empowers me to do. That's John 5. But this individual, Mr. MacArthur, agreed with the Jews who were calling him a blasphemer, and saying that, well, then you are God. His quote, and I'll read it here, verse 17 to 24, he answers the question, who is Jesus Christ? And then Pastor MacArthur says, he was declaring himself to be God. Now, I disagree entirely. And I'm going to go to John 5, to those verses, and I'm going to read what Jesus said. Jesus said, My Father is working right now, and so am I. Starting with verse 17. His reply made the Jews more intent on killing him. Not only did he break the laws about the day of rest, a holy day, but also he made himself equal to God when he said repeatedly that God was his father. All right, now this is their claim, their conjecture, that if you are the son of a parent, then you are the parent. I don't see how you can... That is just ridiculous. I have two sons. I love them both. Neither one of them are me. 
If you think that that is what this is saying, then you need to read the Bible a little closer. One of the other gentlemen searched in the Bible and found John 10, 30. Now, John 10 um, is, again, it's Jesus talking. I'm going to go to that uh, particular all right, and, okay. So verse 30, this is the point that he read that he thought was Jesus declaring himself to be God. My Father who gave them to me, my sheep, is greater than everyone else, and no one can tear them away from my Father. The Father and I are one. Now, to him, that meant that they are exactly the same. Not We're one on this subject, but we are one in toto. Now, this is a translation for us in the 21st century, although this was done in the 20th century. It's been updated. But John actually wrote this for public consumption, in Greek, but he also wrote it in Aramaic and in Hebrew for the homeboys. Because there were a lot of an early movement of Jews for Jesus or Messianic Jews that wanted to hear more of Jesus' words. So it was written in Aramaic and in Hebrew. Well, the Hebrew for this term, I am my, my, the Father and I are one, is Echad, E C H A D. And I don't know if that's how you pronounce it or not. But at that time, when John wrote this, the term that he used is a multiplicity not just a single face, a multiplicity of beings that are housed in God. There's also a term for a single, and that's Y-A-D-I-C-K. At least that's the English equivalent. And if John had wanted to, he could have said that. Then the claim that Jesus and God were the same, and this was actually God on earth instead of an aspect of God, would have been true. Unfortunately, that would not help us. The Bible is meant to help us, to wake us up to the fact of our existence which we owe entirely to God. He created us. We do not know the purpose, but we know that there was more than one purpose. He gave us information to work on discovering what that purpose is. He told other people, prophets throughout the Bible, what he wanted us to know. 
He gave Jesus his instructions on what to say and how to say it, not word for word, but the impressions that he needed to leave. God has shown many faces to humans throughout our time here on earth for the purpose of leading and informing and inspiring us and sending us ever onward to help us figure out what it is we need to do to fulfill his hopes for us. So, I'm going to read, when we come back, I'm going to read the my reply to them. Um, they meant well. I can't imagine they seriously thought that I was saying that Jesus was not a God, not part of God, uh, that he was not the son of the Father, which is exactly what he says, uh, that they were not connected like two ends of the same stick. I cannot imagine that they really believe that. But this is what they tried to confirm with one another. And so that is going to be the um, thing that I need to read through. And I will read it and comment on it as I do it. But the whole thing that you need to understand is that we are not taking God seriously enough. Our time on earth here is being wasted if we do not work at trying to discover what God wants not only from us, but for us. We are his children. He loves us, as all his actions throughout the Bible have shown. We are ignorant of what it is not only that he wants from us, but what we can do to achieve that. Even though it's in the Bible, you have to be able to read the Bible for content, not like it's a self-help book. Oh, maybe I'll quit eating a few calories extra next week. That is not the level of interest you should have in the Bible. You should be trying to figure out your day-to-day moves and motives. What can I do today to make life better on earth for all humans? What can I do today to get closer between my brothers and me and God? What can I do today to inspire other people to work on and look for and talk about their relationship with God, not in a passive way, but in a building, constructive way. So that is what totally motivates me. And that's what I need to try and and um, get across to people. We're not working hard enough. So after the break, we'll come back. I'll read and comment on my email to them. Swamp. Fake news. Racist hats. 
Are you afraid to believe anymore? Well, let me tell you of one brave soul who, like David, slew Goliath. The true story of one man's fight against greed, corruption, and insatiable ambition in small-town Ohio, Checkmate reveals why passion and integrity are rare in the corridors of swing state politics. If you want to hear the truth, how the swamp operates in Ohio with all the political corruption in real time, get Steve Krause's tell-all, true-life story, Checkmate, One Man's Fight Against Political Corruption, available on Amazon. As a newly elected state representative, Steve takes you behind the scenes, behind the closed doors, and rips back the curtain to expose all the lies, the deceit, and power-hungry gamesmanship. Checkmate reads like a TV drama, but it's not. Once you start it, you won't be able to put it down. Checkmate, one man's fight against political corruption by Steve Krause, available on Amazon today. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There are those in Washington who want the IRS to take more of your hard-earned money. Are you tired of being the perpetual cash cow for every scheme, unreasonable program, and for all the fraud, waste, and abuse in our system? Well, good news. I can help. George Satari has almost 40 years of experience helping people like you keep more of what you make. It makes no sense that the more you make, the more they take. Let George help you keep your money away from the government bureaucratic waste and in your pocket. Call 216-651-1120 right now and schedule your free consultation today. Instead of a victim, you'll, you'll be, be the, the victor. victor. With many success stories, George helps with tax planning, estate planning, financial and business analysis, and more. The new tax law has many ways to save money with retirement planning, accelerated depreciation, up to 20% exception of net earnings, and so much more. Call 216-651-1120. That's 216-651-1120. You earn it, we'll help you keep it. That's George Satari, CPA, 216-651-1120. I'm going to read to you the, um, my reply to them. Uh, again, um, they were trying to explain to me that I should accept that uh, Jesus and God were all one and that there was nothing complicated about it. And um, that was their belief, and they wanted me to have it as a belief. And I said, no, I would not have that as a belief. The Bible is much more important and much more detailed. The translations that we have, the modern translations, are easier to read, but they haven't they have given up a tremendous amount in the information that they convey. So my buddy sent this out to everyone, and he felt that that sermon by John MacArthur clearly expressed a major truth concerning the tenets of the Christian faith, and I completely disagreed. Now, if he said Christian religion, he would have been correct. I'm sorry to say that most people think that Christianity is a religion. 
because they've got so many religions out pitching there saying, yeah, it's us, we're the ones, ignore all those other guys. And in fact, none of them have anything to do with God other than he's the subject. And they use him as the subject of uh, their religion the same way the NFL uses football. And it's just used to get money and power and attention. And yes, they may think that they're helping people, but what they're helping them to do is to be more befuddled and not investigate the Bible the way God had wanted us to. God would not have the Bible written for us in such excruciating detail if he didn't want us to know. He wants us to know the Bible and understand it. I love the Bible, and that's because there's so much in it. I mean, even if you never had any other feelings of love from God, that one single book in all its entirety shows just how much he cares for us. Anyway, uh, I start off. Instead, that sermon not only allowed you to remain ignorant concerning what John said, but to feel justified in not questioning your current belief, quote-unquote, structure. It took me all of five minutes to find out what John actually said when he wrote the gospel. But then again, I wasn't trying to prop up any belief that I held which had been passed on to me by religious leaders, which they had gotten from previous religious leaders, who made an accommodation because it was, quote, easier to teach, unquote. And they couldn't see how the difference was, quote, that important, unquote. I was only trying to show you what it was that John actually said back in the first century, not what someone else thought he really must have meant. This dumbing down of what God actually wanted us to know in the Bible by well-intentioned translators that were being paid by religious people who could not see why it was necessary to be perfect or precise is one of our main problems. Complacency is another what would eventually be called the United States of America was created as the homeland for Christians, God's children by choice, John 1.12, in exactly the same manner as the Jews founded Israel. They crossed the Jordan, Christians crossed the Atlantic. Jews took hegemony over the native peoples who lived there, the same as Christians did for the native peoples who lived here. They failed to obey God's instructions, just as we Christians are failing at the same thing. The Jews lost their homeland, and our Christian homeland is being eroded out from under us, while my Christian brothers would rather smugly entrench themselves in churchified beliefs. Rather than dig down into what the Bible, God's approved words to us, is actually trying to get us to understand. For the past three Thursdays, I've been trying to get you to realize that God has separate, quote, faces, unquote, that he shows to humanity at different times and for different reasons. God does this on purpose. 
God does nothing without a purpose. Read John 1, 1 again and ask yourself, quote, I was told and I accepted that John 1, 1 only meant that Jesus was God. Maybe there is more in this verse than I am getting because I accepted the easy explanation and took that to be the entire explanation. What if there is more for me in God's words than I am getting because I am too easily satisfied with the first and easiest explanation that all my friends and relatives and church members accept. The Bible reports several places where God says he is pleased. The most famous for Christians is Matthew 3.17. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Mark related the same incident in Mark 1.11, pardon me, in whom I am well pleased. Mark related, um, and Luke reported this same way in Luke 3.22. And if God was reported as having never said anything else about Jesus, perhaps our complacency could be more easily excused. Matthew, however, reported something else that God said in chapter 12, verse 18. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul delights. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Wow. I don't guess that statement shows the ridiculousness of the simplistic thought that God and Jesus are exactly the same. There can only be one reason that God would make both of these statements concerning his son, our Lord, Jesus. He wants you to wake up your depth perception. You are not supposed to see two discrete pictures side by side you are supposed to view them as one, in depth. Yes, that takes work. Work you may have never attempted before if you thought, all oh, the answers are in, I don't need to study. Just memorize the answers I got from guys who studied this stuff before me. That is absolutely the wrong tack. To take. Not only can every house have a Bible in it now, every phone can reach out and find a translation of the Bible. There are certain sites you can go and compare up to 60 English translations. And if you actually sit down and work at it, you can find translations that are even closer than the religious ones. I would recommend that you do that. Matthew 12, 18 is important for another reason. This is the only other time that God reports something that delights him. 
The first time was in Jeremiah 9.24. And I quote, But let him that glorieth glory in this. Or what we would say is, Let him that likes to brag, brag about this. That he understandeth and knoweth me. This is from the King James Version. That I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. I don't know. That just... That um, that should tell you this. These words are directly from God, recorded by Jeremiah for us. Jeremiah recorded an awful lot of God's responses to his questions in Jeremiah. You really, really should read Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the prophet who was sent to them in accordance with the agreement that God and Moses worked out. The Jews had objected to getting a prophet from somewhere other than their own people. So God acquiesced and said, All right, I will send them only to you from your own people. But heed them. Of course, we know that they did not. Even though God followed through on his end, the Jews did not follow through on their end. This verse makes clear to me that the only way that we normal humans can delight God is if we work to understand all that God is and wants for us by viewing our human relationship with God from his point of view. And the only way we can do that is by trusting in the Lord with all our heart, mind, and soul, and by never relying on our own understanding. It's Proverbs 3, 5. Seeking God's face with an open heart, mind, and soul also rings true for me, as do Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 5. Test everything. Keep what is good. Part of what I test whenever I open the Bible is, am I getting exactly what God had those people report, or just the modern easy-peasy version? An equivocation promoted by religious people meant to loosen purse strings and get butts in the pews rather than deepen philosophical discussions. I feel that I have justified God's rationale for having more than one view of Christ reported in the Bible. I have dug into all the various, quote, conflicting, unquote, examples that I can find and have found that the only conflict that comes about is when various people try to remove information about God that he wants us to have so that we can better know him and eventually delight him. 
Now, why would they do that? Because they want to make it easy for us. Easy for them to teach. Easy for us to learn. Unfortunately, it's not instructive enough. Deuteronomy 4, which I mentioned earlier, when he said, when Moses said that we should search the distant past, start from the very gay God created people on earth, search from one end of heaven to the other. Has anything as great as this ever happened before? Those are things we need to work on because we don't know if it has or it hasn't. Earlier in that same chapter, Deuteronomy 4, God told people, Moses told people from God, in verse 2, never add anything to what I command you or take anything away from it. These well-intentioned religious people who are trying to make it easier for people to accept, not understand, but to accept, are taking away from God's words. They don't realize it, I'm sure. They don't realize that God spoke directly to them. I would hate to be in their shoes when it's time to go in front of God and Tell them what you did and what you should have done. But that's me. I've always felt that the fourth commandment was the one that was the scariest. Something else is very important, though. And that is Deuteronomy 4, 9. Moses continues, However... Oh, I'll start with eight. Or what other great nation has such fair laws and rules as all these teachings I am giving you today? However, be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you don't forget the things you have seen with your own eyes. Don't let them fade from your memory as long as you live. Teach them to your children and grandchildren. Never forget the day you stood in front of the Lord your God at Mount Horeb. The Lord had said to me, Assemble the people in front of me, and I will let them hear my words. Then they will learn to fear me as long as they live on earth, and they will teach their children the same thing. Well, we know what happened. They didn't. They got complacent. Everything was going good. So, the thing that I want to pass on is a thought process to you. I love the Bible. I will always be able to re return to the Bible. There are so many things in here that once you understand, it just all kind of clicks together. It's not just a bunch of stuff that sounds good. 
or even will help you in your life, if you put it all together and actually construct the pathway to the objective decision-making criteria, the matrix that Jesus used, then you will completely understand. It is not hard to be a Christian at that point. And believe me, it's nothing you'd ever want to hide. Nothing you'll ever be embarrassed about. It's unfortunate that Peter didn't get it. And that's why he founded the church. And it's important that Paul did get it. And that's why he founded Christianity. And it's important for us to understand the difference and that they are both reported in the Bible as doing God's work. God needed us to come up against a barrier that we could not climb. Something that we couldn't walk around. And that barrier is our own decision-making process. The one we learned as children. The one before we knew anything else, we learned that from our parents. We learned what to do to get fed, to get changed. All because we would cry and someone would come and comfort us. Somehow we would get what we needed. So Moses wanted us to ask herself because he considered her time on earth special. I've told you about the Bible being constructed as a logic puzzle. And I've told you that we had to come up against a barrier and not be able to go around it or go over it. But we had to have a model for how to overcome it. And that was Jesus. God obviously believes in models because he formed the Jewish people to be a model for us of not what not to do and what not to be, but also to stick around and be here and take all the crap from everybody else that wasn't Jewish throughout history. And at the end of our time here on earth, the Bible says, and that's Deuteronomy 30, that their hearts will be circumcised and they will return to God. Well, that hasn't happened yet. Thank goodness we still have time. We've got to quit pestering them, though, I think. Just enough, let other people pester them. Just enough to keep them sharp. But the immovable barrier that we came up against was ourselves. Our own ways of doing things. Our own methodology. We had to accept and transform ourselves to Jesus' methodology. Unfortunately, 
all this was taken on by religions, and the various religions all fight with the other religions, and none of them got to where Jesus wanted them to get to, and that Paul got to, which was understanding that you are here for your brother and sister as much as you are for yourself. And any solution that you come up with that does not get them closer is not a successful solution. You must switch over to the objective methodology for making decisions. Once you do that, the barrier will dissolve it will no longer have power over you. Your eyes will be open. This is the pathway to God. This is what he wanted you to see. This is what God left instructions for. This is what God sent Jesus to show you. This is what Jesus was talking about to Nicodemus in John 3. And Nicodemus can only see could only see the problems. I can't go back into my mother's womb and be born again. And Jesus said it was like being born again. It is. And you don't have to be concerned about all the mistakes you made when you're living life subjectively. You really can set all that aside. Now, we saw that as Jesus forgiving our sins when Jesus was saying they don't count, they were rung up under a different you. Once you switch and become like Jesus, you are a new person in Christ. Now that forgiveness of sins part is something that will come to play a major problem in our current lives. I don't have time to get into it this evening. Um, I think I've only got about three minutes left. I have to check on that. But the fact of the matter is that that, is, that misconception is the thing that is bedeviling us most and causing us to hang back while our country and our civilization is dissolved, is dissolved from beneath us. So we will do that next week, and I want to leave you with something to think about. At some point, this will need to be transformed from a discussion of the Bible that is mainly for religious folks to one that is mainly for non-religious folks. So I want you to think about something now. And that is the forgetfulness that um, we were told about, the Jews were told about not to do, and the rest of humanity, uh, as they were the examples, but the message was for all of us. Never forget the day you stood and heard from God. They did. So what you need to ask yourself is, because forgetting is such a big problem with us, and we don't pass on 100%, and we do pass on what sounds good rather than what is in the Bible and what God had wanted us to know, 
And we make it sound better by making it easier to accept. Suck up with a straw in some instances. But what you want to know is, if God went to all this trouble for you, why can't you go to the same amount of trouble for him? Why can't you delve into all the things that were done and discover why God felt you were important enough to do all this stuff on your behalf? Well, Moses spoke about 3,400 years ago in that plain in front of Mount Horeb. And about 1,700 years ago is when the Christian religion was started. So what you need to ask yourself in light of all this, are you a forgetting machine or a remembering animal? And why does God expect you to be both? All right, and that's going to be it for this evening. And I will speak with you again next week. This is T.A. from The Writing is on the Wall. This program has been sponsored by George Satari, CPS.